0: Uh-oh. So what's your first reaction when you hear that sound? Oh, man. What's your first reaction when you hear that sound in the morning time? Do you say, good Lord, it's morning? Or do you say, oh, Lord, it's morning? I have tried the majority of my life to be a morning person, and I just cannot be a morning person. So when you hear that sound, it, it, it creates what in you? A response. Either you're excited, you ready for a day, or you're like, oh, are you serious? It's going to be a, another day, right? Now, honestly, safe place here. How many of you love to hit that snooze button and love to get that, just a couple more minutes of please, Lord, precious sleep? You don't understand. I'm tired and I'm ready to relax. So just like the alarm goes off, we have in life what's called wake-up calls. And what wake-up calls do is wake-up calls uh, get our attention, don't they? They help us change our perspective. And a couple of wake-up calls we experienced is I remember when I was a, a teenager, I grew up in the 80s, primarily early 90s, but we didn't have the cell phones and the texting and all the apps, so you, you broke up with people through a letter. And I remember getting my first letter from my first little girlfriend, and she broke up with me through a letter. And that was a what? A wake-up call. Right? You're going, oh, man. But then you also have wake-up calls where, on a more serious level, you've been working for a company for 20 years, 25 years. They call you in one day and say, hey, we're restructuring. Your position is no longer needed. That's a what? A wake-up call. You go to a doctor one day for a routine visit. To go to a doctor for a routine visit, and all of a sudden, They call you back, and there's something wrong. There's a diagnosis you need to be aware of. That's a what? That's a wake-up call. And so through life, we go through a variety of these called wake-up calls. Another one, you find yourself just a lack of motivation, a lack of desire. You find yourself in constant worry. So your body's telling you something's wrong. That's a what? That's a wake-up call. And also, each of us in this room have expectations. And when those expectations don't get met, guess what? We have a reaction, and that's a wake-up call. And so then, think about where we've been the last 17 months. You've been living in the midst of what? COVID. What's COVID been for all of us? A huge what? Wake-up call. And so the, the question, if you're like me, when you're in the midst of a wake-up call, is a couple things happen, right? Do you, like me, do you the same thing? When you're in the midst of a wake-up call, do you wonder, number one... How long is it going to last? And number two, is it going to get better? Y'all relate to that? How long is it going to last? And is it going to get better? Because, again, wake-up calls are designed, again, to get our what? Attention. They're designed to change our perspective. And so as you turn to 1 Thessalonians, where we are today, chapter 5, This church is in the midst of a wake-up call. Verse 1. See, look to your right, look to your left. Look behind you. See, there's people around you, right? Well, this church, when they gathered, you know what's going on in Thessalonians, in Thessalonica? You know what's happening? They're being persecuted. They're suffering. And so when they come together and meet, they're not sure if the person beside them, person behind them, is going to actually be there. See, they're dealing with death. And in the midst of that, they're asking questions, and they need something more. They need what's called hope. Because, these, because they come in many forms, and they come in many fashions. But in, in this context, that's what's going on. And we might not be suffering today in terms of physically. You might not go over your very life, but these folks were. And let me tell you something for us. A wake-up call for us could also be in the form of, hey, I'm good. It's comfortable. A, have, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm going go to go tonight, get some hot dogs, some hamburgers, watch other people pay money to entertain me on their fireworks. My neighborhood's been blasting off since last week, and the fourth is today. So I get a free fireworks show every night, don't pay any money for Life's pretty good. I'm not really, so I get used to it. And my thought could be, it's not really that bad. Living here is not really that bad. If it's all I got, it's a wake-up call. So what he's trying to do and tell us is, what's happening? And so as you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter chapter 1, he's going to make a promise. And regardless of where you are in life, this promise is true. And the promise is Jesus is coming back. Whether you're prepared or you're unprepared, whether you're ready or whether you're not ready, he's coming. Whether you're like, man, I can't wait for him to come, or you're sitting here going, I ain't thought about his return. Ain't a good word, by the way. I have not thought about his return in a long, long time because I've had other things to do. And so look with me. In chapter 5, verse 1, because they have questions. They want to know. If he's coming back, I want to know because this is important to me. Verse 1, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need for me to write to you. You see what they're saying? Hey, so Paul's telling them. Concerning the time and the seasons, they want to know, just tell me, okay? Tell me the day. Tell me the time and tell me the seconds. And you know what? I'll be ready. I'll be ready. And Paul says, no, you have no need to know that. Just like my mom growing up. She worked eight to five. And now in the summertime, I love the summertime because I would get on my Nintendo and I would play my Nintendo, get my little Twinkies, and get my little Pepsi Cola, and I would just throw it when i was done eating, I throw it on the floor. And then I drink my bottle, I throw that on the floor. Because I knew I had till five o'clock when she got home. And then when five o'clock came, I would run around that house, cleaning up, picking up everything, making sure everything's good. Because mama's coming home. And mama in my house, mama don't play. And so when mama shows up, you need to be ready. And so I was, I would wait. But every once in a while, you know what happened? of my mom would do to me? Your mom would do this to you back in the day or even now? She did one of surprise attacks. <laughs> she did surprise attacks. She'd show up at lunchtime. By lunchtime, I'm still in the bed. I ain't even got up yet. And the house would be destroyed. I thought I had more what? I said, Mama, Mama, I just need a little more time just give a little more time mom, I had to clean up by five see what he's saying is you have all you need to know you've got all you need to know what's he referring to, you don't need another time or the season, he, said he comes back and says hey the Old Testament told you I was coming it told you I was coming, Jesus told you he was coming back Paul told you he's coming? And then he says this. Drop with me down to verse 2. You have no need to have anything else written to you. What? I have no need to have anything else written to me? Because he's saying, I've told you in the Old Testament. I've told you in the New Testament. I've told you all you need to know. Bible church, listen to me, because we love what? What do we love as Bible church people? We love knowledge. The question, if I just knew a little more, I'd be ready. He says, you got all you need to know. And then he says, for you yourselves are fully aware, not partially aware, Not a little bit aware, but you're fully aware that the day of the Lord will come. There it is. Day of the Lord. See, he's speaking language to you and I. That might not mean much to us. But in that context, the day of the Lord was key. It was important. It was crucial. It was talked about over and over and over again. They knew their Old Testament. And the day of the Lord was a time where he would come back and he would make things right. He would deliver the righteous and he would do what? Defeat the enemies. And they look forward to that day. That's why they want to know, hey, just tell me the time, tell me the place, because I want to be there when you do what? When you put them in their place. See what he's saying? End up. And that's what he's going through. The Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 laid things out. It showed them here's what's going to happen. Here's what it looks like. And you've got all you need to know to be what? Prepared. You don't need no more knowledge. You got all the knowledge you need because you got your what in front of you on your iPhone. What are you holding? your Bible. You got all you need. And that's enough. That's enough. And so what he does is he says, hey, I make a promise. And when I make a promise, I'm a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. But the problem comes into when you and I read it is we've had people make promises and they break the promises. And slowly, what does our heart do? It gets hard and it gets callous thinking, ah, he's just talking. He's not going to show up. And then our posture goes from Monty's posture open your hands spread out. Our posture goes to what? Yeah, uh-huh. I see what we are doing here. He done got me one time. He ain't get me again. See the posture difference between this posture and this posture? And then for you ladies, this posture. <laughs> Don't mess with mama. On that posture, you better leave. That's what happens. That's what he's talking about. you got all you need to know. So he says, i got a promise. And I am a promise keeper, not a promise maker. And the day of the Lord will come. And then he gives you three metaphors. Look with me down in your text here. Three metaphors. Number one metaphor. He's going to come like a thief in the night, the end of verse 2. Verse 3. He'll come when they say peace and security. Sudden destruction. So he'll come like a military invasion. Metaphor number two. Metaphor number three. He'll come like a pregnant woman having contractions. He gives you three metaphors to communicate what? His return will be, number one, a surprise. His return will be, number two, sudden. Snap of a finger. Blink of an eye, everything done changed. Game over, game changed. What happened? And so first, the thief metaphor, when someone breaks to your house or you've had something stolen from you, do, do they call you? Do they give you a ring and say, hey, man, I'm going to show up about 630 AM and I'm going to take care of stuff? We had a trailer out here stolen. They didn't tell us anything about that. They just showed up to took the trailer. Had two flat tires, just riding along with them on the camera. Boom, 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 boom. There's our trailer just going on. Bye-bye. They didn't tell us when they were coming to get it. Oh, we'd have been here. See, he doesn't call you and say, hey, I'm coming over. I'm coming. What does he do? He just shows up. It's unexpected. And here's the deal. We're not prepared. What happens? We get distracted. See, the tyranny of the urgent takeover. But you don't understand, Chad, when I get home, I got all this to-do list on my iPhone i got to get done today. i got all this stuff to get done today. And I get distracted by living where? Right on the to-do list, getting my task all checked off. That is out of sight, out of mind. It's just totally off my radar. But he says, it's coming like a thief. He's going to return. Don't be distracted. Then he says, verse 4 or verse 3, while the people are saying, Hello, America. While the people are saying, peace, you see it? I didn't, this is Paul, peace and security. While the people are saying, we got life pretty good now, don't we? It ain't too bad to be American, is it? We're doing all right, aren't we? Peace and security. What's going to happen? Just like that, then sudden destruction will come upon them. The game will change very fast and very sudden. It shows the abruptness of how quick life can change. And you know this because you've lived it. You get a phone call and it turns immediately. You get news of something going on, word of mouth, it changes immediately. It changes drastically. And we're all old enough in the room, we've experienced this, how it goes. We have this false sense of peace and security and then all of a sudden it's taken away and it's gone. It's a military term. I'm going to invade, and I'm going to come in, and I'm going to do it suddenly, and I'm going to do it abruptly. But see, he's not finished. So don't be disillusioned. Don't be disillusioned. This is your what? This is home. Don't be disillusioned. This is good. This is home. This is not home. This is not home. He says, don't forget that. Then it goes on, talks about the pregnant lady. The pregnant lady's pains will come upon her, and it will be what? All you ladies in the room know this. You, your doctor can tell you a time, a, a variant of time around there, but all you ladies know when it comes, it comes what? Fast, quickly, suddenly, and you're in what mode? And the pains he's talking about, he talks about in Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. There will be what? Earthquakes, famines, wars. When you see those things happening, you need to be what? Ready. You need to be ready. Then the problem is we get what when those things happen? We start getting discouraged. Don't we? Life is hard. It's been a tough 17 months. You don't understand what's been going on. It's heartbreaking. It's challenging. Relationally challenging. Not just with work, emotionally challenging. It's a wake-up call. There's something going on in me that I've suppressed and haven't dealt with. And these 16 months has brought it to the front. Because it's made me do what? Slow down. Can't just go like I used to. Got to slow down. Got to be what? Y'all know the word? What's the word called? Quarantined. And now I got to deal with who? Me. So he's telling you these metaphors are saying, hey, something is coming. Hope is on the way. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. But it doesn't end there after the promise. He goes on to tell you, the answer to the question is, How are you going to respond? See, in light of these wake-up calls, how are you going to respond to the wake-up calls in light of him saying he's coming again? What are we going to do? Look at your text. Verse 4. But you who are not in darkness, brothers... For that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not children of the night or the darkness. Uh Uh-oh, stay with me. How are we going to respond when these wake-up calls go off and it's not our alarm clock? How are we going to respond? He says you have two options. You respond like a children of the light, which means what? In the Bible, children of light means you're saved. You're a Christian. You're a believer. You don't just intellectually assent to knowing Jesus died and was buried and rose again for you. You actually do what? Believe it. Over here we have children of the what? The darkness. What do they do? They don't believe it. They're unbelievers. You might be here this morning. You don't believe it. I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here. Wrestling with it. I'm not sure I believe it. Good. Let's wrestle with it. Could there be another option in life, right? Children of light, churn of darkness, where are you? And then he says, if you're a churn of light, you're going to do what? Respond a certain way. If you're a children of darkness, you're going to respond what? Another way. So it begins to go to the children of darkness. Says, here's how you respond if you are an unbeliever. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7 in your text. Here's how you respond if you are an unbeliever. For those who sleep, sleep at what? Talk to me. Night. And those who get drunk get drunk when? At night. Don't miss the point. Your identity. Who you are is going to show how you respond. Your identity is going to set the whole framework with how you respond. So if you're a children of night, you have no option. But you're going to be what? Number one, I'll tell you what you'll be. You'll be ignorant. It's not an insult. It's just true. Because you don't know. Some people just don't know Jesus is alive. They don't know about him. They're ignorant. Of him. Jesus? Jesus who? So one response is you're going to be ignorant. And that means you just don't do what? Don't care. But the other response is, because you don't know better. The other response is you'll be what? Indifferent. Well, how you be indifferent? Well, I'll be indifferent because somebody told me about Jesus and I choose to do what? Reject it. I was told and I chose to say, nah, no thank you. And when I leave there, I live how? Indifferent, meaning I become what? Apathetic. Cynical, jaded, angry. Me against who? The world. Children of the darkness. But he's saying that's not all they are. Now they're also what? You see how? Sleep. They also do what? Drink. I think it's better to take this drunk part, not as a literal drunk. That's fine to take it literally. But literally when you drink, what are you? you're what impaired that means you're living how god has not designed you to live and what you've done when you drink literal alcohol what happens to you is you get what get numb and numbness comes out in a couple ways it comes out and i'm going to rage or it comes out i'm going to be passive and a friendly drunk but i'm going to be one or the other because what i've done is i've done what I've suppressed all my feelings and I felt these strong feelings, so I go to something for relief. See, when you're an unbeliever, you've got to go somewhere for relief. And they've numbed their senses to God. I hadn't gone to the God, so I'll go to the what? The bottle, because that provides me comfort and relief. And it eases things and it numbs me. So I ain't got to deal with all the stuff that's going to come up. See the difference? And maybe you literally don't drink alcohol. To get drunk, but we get drunk on other things, don't we? Besides just little alcohol. Man, we get drunk on other things. Success, money, reputation, who people think I am. That's my big thing. I'm a people person. I want you to think highly of me. And so I'm going to get drunk off of your what? Reaction to me. So if you like me, we're good. I'm going to be friendly and high. And if you don't like me, I'm going to be like, hey, what's wrong? I thought we were cool. And I'm thinking, well, personally? See how we get drunk off of different things? And so he say, children only, they get, the darkness gets drunk off of those things. Then he contrasts that and says, let me show you how I want you to respond. Don't lose your way. Don't go to those false things to provide you peace and comfort. There's a better way. And he begins to show them the better way, starting in verse 6. So then let us not sleep as others sleep, but, there it is. Oh, see, just read it. But us, but us, contrast, but us, dark, light, dark, light, but us, but us, we're where? We're the light. So why are you acting like a darkness? You're not in the darkness. You're in the light. So why are you behaving like you're in the darkness? Because you're in the light. He says, look, stay what? Awake. Stay awake. Stay alert. Pay attention. Don't doze off. Stay with me. See what he's saying? The world will make you lull you right to sleep. Before you know it, you'll miss it. He saying, hey, wake up. And stay vigilant. Regardless if you love sports or not. My wife doesn't really care for sports. She hates my sports analogies. So this is not just a sports analogy, okay? This is life analogy. I, I tell you that, ladies, because seriously, in our house, my wife gets tired of talking about sports. So stay with but it's not a sports analogy. You'll probably say, yeah, it is sports analogy. So watching the College World Series. I'm not a big baseball fan. Vandy Vandy's down 4 nothing. Vandy's down 4 nothing. okay? College World Series, down to Stanford. They have rotation. So what happens is the infields will come in, not in social intelligence, Just to be clear. The infield comes in the bat. When they come in the bat, the Vandy coach, Coach Corbs, guess what he does? He calls them together. And guess what he says besides some colorful language that I can't repeat here in the house of God? Guess what he says? He says, we better wake up and play with a sense of urgency. And if we don't, we'll be on a bus, can't say that word, back to Nashville. If we don't wake up. Because, well, I'm not done yet. Because, stay with me, I'm telling you it's spiritual. (laughs) Because, we're, no, stay with me, stay with me, I'm being serious. We are not playing like ourselves. Hold on, hold on, question, how are we playing then? We're not playing like Vandy men. And Vandy men play a different way when we're Vandy men. Oh, see, it's not a sports analogy, I told you. You see what is telling them? I don't think Kobe believes me, Kobe thinks it's a sports analogy. So here's what he's saying is, we play out of our identity. We're not playing like ourselves. We're not playing with a sense of urgency. Are we living life with a sense of urgency? Do you live life with your head on a swivel? Ready to go? Or do we live life much like this? Oh, gosh, here we go again. Here it comes. Or do we live life like this? Pr- proactive. We're ready. This could be my what? I'm tying it back in spiritually. Could be my what? Last day. This could be it. And I'm going to live like it could be my last day. That's Paul, but it's also Tim McGraw. Live like you're dying. Tim McGraw. All right? So there you go never know what you get here at Fellowship Bible Church, culturally wise. So he's saying, be alert, be awake, and then he says, stay what? Stay sober. you see it? Stay sober right here. Verse 6, so let's not sleep or do, let's stay, be sober. Then he drops down to verse 8 and says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober. You know what this means when you have sobriety. Sobriety means you can actually think straight. You think clearly. Maybe I'm the only one, but I look back sometimes and ask myself the question, what was I thinking? Because in my head, it made perfect sense. And then I said it, and I was like, it oh, didn't sound right at all. But it made perfect sense in my head because I wasn't sober. See, when you don't suppress and numb, what happens is when you live in sobriety, you begin to see what? How God is working. And I don't know about you, but you look back at your story, for example, and think about your story. Not your childhood story, but think about your recent story. And you can totally, if you're not sober, miss how God is working. You totally miss everything he's been doing for you. And you begin to see things as that were that are blessings in your life, that, that they're now burdens. Can I give you a prime example of that? My kids. <laughs> if I'm honest, man, it's a it's tiring and a burden. I want relief. But then when I'm right mind, I go, man, they're a blessing. But I don't always think that way. My job is a blessing. In my head, I quit once a week, easily <laughs> once a week in my head. I don't do it publicly, but I quit once a week in my head. I got to be honest. You do too. You know it's true. That sweet thing, and you're married too. You love that thing. You can't think of anything wrong with her. She won't be any type of coffee. Great, man. You in that premarital counseling. You go, man, it's wonderful. It ought to be this way. It's been, you understand? And then a couple, and then all of a sudden you go, oh, oh, no. She's arguing about the paper towels and the toilet paper. How I hung them up. Are you an overperson or underperson? <laughs> I don't know what it means. <laughs> but imagine, this is great. You with me? That's how it works. That's how life is be sober. And then he says, not only be sober, but now you got to put on something. Look at verse 8, he tells you, hey, stay alert, be sober. And now I want you to put on something because you got to defend yourself because it's a war out there. And here's the deal. Your enemy wants to destroy you. The evil one will take you out. And not only the evil one, but you know who else take you out? Your own desires will take you out. You've got a battle going on inside. Your own desires will always take the easy road, the road that's easy and wide and comfortable. No one takes the hard road. Take the easy road. not unless your identity is different. So he's saying what? Put on. Verse 8, you see it? Put on. Verse 8, just so you see it, put on. Well, the question is, what am I putting on? If you tell me to put on something, that means I got to do what? Put something off. And Paul develops this. He says if you're going to stay alert, if you're going to stay ready, you've got to know what to put on. And before you put on something, you gotta know what to put off. And so, what are you gotta put off? Oh, if I'm honest, I gotta put off some unbelief. I'm not sure God always got my back. I'm not sure God always gonna be faithful. If I'm being honest, in those moments I'm laying in the bed or driving my car down the road or in the shower, I have thoughts that go, "I'm not sure God's gonna come through this time, God." I gotta put something off. So I put off what? Unbelief. And that's what he says right here. He says what? Put on the breastplate of faith, righteousness. You stand in God's righteousness. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. Ain't nothing you can do. And you put on that. And that's humility to put that on. Because you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. And he says, put that on. When you take that other thing off, that self-reliance, that July the 4th, we are the land of free. We're independent. You about go ahead and take that off. That's a lie. We on the other side, aren't we? We very dependent. We very needy. And we very desperate. He says, put that on. But see, he doesn't stop there. He says, put own love which means take off animosity have you noticed in the sense of covid since 17 months how people have gotten just hostile it used to be in traffic now it's not in traffic it's everywhere and when people look at you they look like they just they look they look they look just what you looking at What you looking at me for see nobody smiles anymore no one's Engaging, the it softness was, it was in the eye, It's all just glazed over and just mean mugging me. It's mean mug. What you looking at? <laughs> Versus a posture of, see, put that off, put on love. You see what's it's going? On? Then he says put on what? The, the helmet of what? Hope. So you put on hope, what do you put off? Discouragement. Put off discouragement. That's where he goes. If we're put something on, we've got to put something off. And then he reminds them here on verse 9. you love this. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who has died for us, whether we are awake. And I take awake there to mean dead. For you scholars out there, I take awake here to mean physically dead. Before it's sleep. Now he shifted over to talk about physical dead because he's trying to give them an idea of hope. Awake or asleep that we might live with him. Now what he says to put on is what? Your gospel shoes. Put on your gospel shoes. Because now you can stand ready for battle. See? Because you, you can't stand in your own strength. You've done that for years. And that gets you exhausted and tired. Now you stand on your gospel shoes. Not your dancing shoes, your gospel shoes. He said, man, you stand there. That's where he goes back to the what? The gospel. See, we don't just get the gospel one time. We get the gospel every single day we're breathing because the enemy attacks us. We attack ourselves, and we've got to remind ourselves of the goodness of the gospel. Preach it to yourself. What does God think of me? How does God see me? Will God be faithful when he abandoned me? What's the gospel say? I don't just do it one time. Yes, for salvation, for justification, sure, but not for sanctification. You got to believe that every single day God allows oxygen into your lungs. Because if I don't believe that, I'm going to revert back to what? The old man. And what did the old man always do? He always did what? Fix it, control it, and manage it. That's not the gospel. Fix, control, and manage is not the gospel. The gospel is trust, surrender. That's the gospel. So he undergirds everything This is in the gospel. And he's pointing you to something. You see what he's doing? As I try to lower my voice, he's pointing you to something special. He's saying the problem is. Is it amen? Is it pre-mill? Is it post Is it covenant? Is it dispensationalism? Is it progressive dispensationalism? I've read the most five views of everything, it feels like. And you know what I come down to? Pay a lot of tuition. Went to a lot of good institutions. And I come down to this: it's not about a formula, it's about what? A person. Hope is attached to a person. We could argue and talk, and I have my thoughts and my views about it. But at the bottom end of the day, you know what's tied to? He's coming back, and I'm going to be ready. I'm not sure how it's going to work out. I've got some things about that and thoughts about that. But the bottom line is I need to be ready. And I paid good money for it too. I mean, a lot of money. It got more confused the more I read it. So what I'm saying is read it, study it, think about it. But don't forget, hope is in a person. He's coming back to restore, to redeem what is fallen, what is broken. And that helps you move forward. The other stuff makes you a talking head who argues all the time, who no one really likes. If I'll be honest with you. They don't like you. But they won't tell you that to your face. Because you're always so confrontational. Be gracious. Be kind. He's coming back. He loves us. He desires us. We're a family, and that's how he ends. He ends in verse eleven. Therefore, therefore, just as or therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Look to your right. Look to your left. The person to your right. The person to your left. You know any more than anything. Encouragement. I see you. I believe in you. You're doing a good job. Appreciate you. Tell that to your kids and watch them do this. Tell that to your wife. Watch your heart. Tell that to your friend. And it breaks down everything. When well, you encourage someone, and then you say this, let me build you up. Let me develop you. Let me spend time with you. Now I want to develop you. And now you come to the church and the body, and guess what happens? We get stronger. Because we're not competing and comparing. We're doing what? Encouraging and Building. Wow, and we look across the aisle and we go, man. I see you. I see the way you look. I see that you're down. And I'll come over and I give you what—not Chad's best advice. I give you my presence. And I give you what—the gospel. God sees you, man. God loves you. In your pain, in your heartache, He'll come through. Because we're not suffering physically. But I tell you one thing: we are suffering emotionally, big time. And we got to speak to that. We got to put the gospel on that. And that's what he does. You with me? So how are we doing? How are we doing? Prepared? We ready? Alert? You sober? You put on the armor? You encouraging? You building each other up? How are we doing? Bow your head real quick. Let me pray for us. And continue to think about that, just how are, how are we doing? Father, you've been so good and so kind to us. In my own personal life, I think of the many wake-up calls you've given me and the many times I responded poorly to them and the grace you poured out on me to help me respond well. I didn't do anything, not smart enough and bright enough and can't control enough and manage enough, but you invaded my heart. You invaded my mind and gave me hope, that hope was in a person. But each day I have to wake up and ask myself the question, how am I doing? Am I prepared or am I unprepared? Am I distracted, disillusioned, discouraged? And Father, help us as a church body to be honest, to be transparent, to be genuine and run to not only you, but run to each other. In Christ's name I pray, amen.